Hello, and welcome to the Vevolution podcast. Since starting in late 2018, Vevolution has been creating inspiring events for the plant-powered generation. Each episode of this podcast will share with you stories and ideas told by plant-based thought leaders from the Vevolution stage. Rich Reed co-founded the iconic Innocent Drinks before launching investment firm Jamjar Investments. In this talk, he is joined by Paul Brown, founder of Bowl. In this talk, they discuss how to start and scale purpose-led brands. This talk was recorded at Vevolution Festival 2018. Thank you. How cool is this? What an incredible venue. Um, so my name is Paul. I'm the founder of Bowl Foods, as, as Venetia has just said. Um, I uh, started my career prior to starting Bowl Foods at Innocent Drinks. I cold-called this man here, Rich Reed, and his two uh, co-founders, Adam and John, uh, and managed to convince them to give me a job. That was 18 years ago. It's a decision you might have regretted a few times ever since. For 18 years. <laughs> For 18 years, great. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I was invited back by Damien and Judy uh, to talk you guys through a few things we've learned along the way from starting uh, Innocent and, and more recently starting Bold Food. So, hand over to the main man. I'm first? Yeah. Right, Okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I guess I'm fortunate enough to have two perspectives because I was part of a team that set up a business. So I've been the entrepreneur and now I'm the investor. So on a day-to-day basis, we're investing in people's companies. And uh, what I've tried to do in talking with Paul about the nature of his business and Innocent and the businesses we've looked at and other businesses that seem to be successful is to pull out some of the key principles we think by which... Uh, good businesses run themselves. It's almost like a sort of algorithm for success, if that's not overstating it. And we started with this one, that this is something we definitely had with Innocent. We were focused. You know, we tried to be a smoothie company. We didn't try to be anything uh, beyond that. And I think it's one of the mistakes that a lot of entrepreneurs do. They're trying to do too many different things in terms of width at the beginning. And we think success actually most often comes from when you focus and do one thing. So the house phrase at Innocent was keep the main thing the main thing try and be the best in the world at one thing. I mean, already that's a big goal and ambition in itself, and so there has to be some humility. They're not going to be best in the world at five different things. And we keep this picture... I, I literally, for about 15 years, I had it above my desk at Fruit Towers as an aid memoir of this principle, like, stay focused, keep the main thing the main thing, make it inform every single business decision you made. So this is a real photograph of a head office of a company in America that makes baskets. And I think, you look at that, that is really a business that is keeping the main thing the main thing and knows what it's here to do. And you can just imagine the benefits. You know, if you're a hungover employee walking in on a Monday morning and thinking to yourself, what am I supposed to do today? And you look up at that and you go, oh, yeah, make baskets. So there's a sort of, there's a benefit to it. And, of course, the weird thing is you get businesses that get, des- get it desperately wrong as well who don't keep their main thing the main thing. So it's, it's one of those eight memoirs to sort of make sure that just set yourself that dream and that goal to be the best at one thing in the world and then be ruthlessly focused on it. So that's definitely the, the what from Rich and definitely being clear about the why for me is even more important than the how or the what. So at Innocent, it was all about helping people live well and die old. At Ball, it's all about inspiring the world to eat more plants and there's no better company that, that does it than, than Pat- Patagonia. Everything they do is about trying to be the most responsible business they can be. A recent campaign that they run, I don't know whether you saw it, was 
advertising why not to buy new clothes off them to encourage you to repurpose and recycle your clothing. And that is a, a business that has the why deep-rooted in the DNA. So, audience participation time. Who knows who these two chaps are? Shout. And who's the other guy? Does anybody know who the other guy is? So, correct. That is Steve Jobs on the left with the dodgy bow tie. And on the right here is a chap called John Scully. So, John Scully was the CEO for Apple for a number of years. Before he joined Apple, he was the CEO of Pepsi. In the time when he was at Pepsi, he did the Pepsi Challenge taste test and landed huge amounts of uh, incredible innovation and marketing campaigns, and that's why Jobs wanted him. And when uh, I've read some uh, memoirs from Scully, and what he said is it was the last line Jobs left him with about the why in the interview process that made him quit Pepsi and go to Apple. And he asked, Jobs asked Scully the question, he said, do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugary water or do you want to have a chance to change the world? He, he didn't join Apple because he was excited about selling computers. He joined Apple because he was excited about making a real difference. I mean, as it happened, he obviously sold billions of pounds worth of computers <laughs> along the way, um, but the why can work when recruiting people and also obviously when creating a winning business. So this is my cryptic slide of the day. Um, symbiotic investor relationship, and I'm not suggesting investors like Rich are sharks. What I'm saying, what, for the people who aren't marine biologists in the room, those are remora fish, and remora fish survive by feeding off the shark, and in turn the shark uh, is clean and healthy and protects them. And for me, as somebody who has gone to market and... Uh, got a number of investors in Ball. I just wanted to say for people in the room who are looking to start a business or uh, may well do in the future and are seeking investment, that the relationship with the investor has to be so much more than just money. And the relationship um, should, should... You should definitely be interviewing the investor as much as they are in, uh, interviewing you. And having that two-way relationship is something we've done at Ball. So a demand for me for every single person, and there's 25 people uh, that have invested in Ball, is that they need... To, to add value. So uh, payroll is one of the biggest drainers on a, a small business, uh, but when you get investors helping you out with stuff and you don't need to pay them, it helps. So we've got a qualified nutritionist. He does all of the nutritional advice for us. One of our investors owns a recruitment company. He does all the talent management. So I would just work that black book uh, and get people who can add value to the business. You? Mm. Oh, I don't need that, do I? Yeah. Um, actually, I'm just going to add a bit, because you're absolutely, I, I totally believe that. You should definitely try and build investors that are, are, are bringing value in addition to the cash. But, but also, I'd just say it's a slight ward of caution. But don't believe too much what they promise. When we do a deal at Jam Job, people always ask us what we're going to do for the business. And actually, I always start by saying, well, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to probably disappoint you. Because actually, it's the entrepreneur that's doing it, and we will, of course, do our very best. But there's a lot of people that, when they're the investor, will sell themselves that they're going to sort of be able to change around the fortunes of your business to try and get a better valuation for them to invest in at. And so just be a little bit cautious. My view is you shouldn't have to 
give a, a, give a discount to someone because of the value that they're going to bring. They should be wanting to do that anyway because they're going to be part of the company. Uh, we did the, a great deal with Coca-Cola. It was the sort of the making and the saving of, of the business. But I do remember this when they promised us that they were going to put us into a million fridges all across Europe. And, uh, and they meant it. And it just turned out after we did the deal that all the fridges turned off at night so they couldn't we couldn't have our juices in them. So you just got it. I, there was no bad faith there. They didn't know that themselves. And it was actually done with Greenpeace to save carbon dioxide. So it was a brilliant initiative, but it was no good for our smoothies. So always just have a work, just always sort of think, yeah, maybe, rather than, yeah, definitely, when an investor is promising something to you. Uh, another thing that we find to be probably the single most important decision you do have to get right, more important than the investors that you bring in, is, of course, the recruitment. You know, you know this, right? A business is nothing other than just a community of human beings. And whether business works or not in the long run, whether it's successful or not, is about the quality of the people that you bring in. Have you spotted people that have got that in a dynamic where they love the mission of the business, that they're going to work super hard at doing it, that they're going to be loyal, that they're going to be great teammates, all that kind of stuff which makes a, a really vibrant and strong business. And you have to be absolutely uncompromising, in my opinion, with the people that you bring in. You shouldn't give anyone the benefit of the doubt at the interview stage. You shouldn't leave... If you're not leaving that room after you've, not met, after you've met that person, not really excited about the idea of bringing them in, then don't bring them in. Because basically you only want, and I stole this from Google, right? So this is what the head of talent of Google told me about 10 years ago. So you only want to recruit A-types because A-types go on to recruit A-types, whereas B-types recruit C-types. And you start a sort of long, slow descent into averageness. So it's all about bringing people that are the very best that you can find, that are going to add massively to the culture of the business as well as work extremely hard. And I'd say the single most important thing is that they have values within them personally, that chime with the values of your organisation. Because there's absolutely no way you're going to get someone to change their character, nor should you try to. So you've got to find people that have got values that match what the business is up to. So don't bring in someone who doesn't care about the sort of the ethical side, if that is an important bit of your business, because it's just going to create disquiet, and it can become quite toxic when you've got someone who doesn't really care about what the business stands for. And I learned this the hard way, because we, you know, innocent, we didn't ever let people go, but sometimes you have to. And I learned it again, actually, it was from another big sort of American business person. It was a guy called Dan Walker. I heard talking at a business conference. He was a big, macho American guy. Sat on a stool going, if you want a great business, you've got to get rid of the crap people. Get rid of all the crap people. And because this was Britain, everyone's like shocked at the language and it sounds all sort of impolite. And this very sweet person put their hand up and said, well, I'm just, I'm sorry, but what am I supposed to do if I don't have anyone to replace a so-called crap person? And he just looked at him and said, honey, at the end of the day, I'd rather have a hole than an asshole. <laughs> now, not my language. I don't advocate it. If you say that in business, you can end up in tribunals. But there's a fundamental truth there. Like, if you're trying to build an organisation, be it charity, sporting, business, political, whatever, you have to have people that are innately online with the values of the business and you have to ask the ones that aren't to politely leave before they pollute the system. And just a, a, a small build on that, uh, we've got a motto at Baller when we're recruiting, it's about attitude over academia. And I don't mean that in the most literal sense that we don't bring really smart people in, but definitely encourage the recruiting managers to check out uh, beyond just the CV. Uh, and also, just a, a small tip, it feels like so many people when they're starting a business want uh, the marketeers and the brand people and the commercial people. And I just wanted to say that there's a lot of good businesses, as we all know, that go out of business because they run out of cash. So if you are not a numbers person, which 
I don't profess to be, then make sure you get on board an incredible finance person. And there's one of them sitting in the audience there that uh, Bol would not be alive today if I didn't have him. So uh, attitude over academia, but make sure you bring on um, the smart finance person. And absolutely, as Rich says, you create a culture where people believe and the fun and uh, it, it, it really does mean you can do so much more than you think you can. Actually, you're an example of that, aren't you? What, an asshole? No, no. Academia over attitude. Because actually, Paul, you know, because Paul, like, he, he turned up at, no, but he, he turned up at the um, at Fruit Towers. We were probably like a year or two into it. Uh, he hadn't been to university, right? You'd been a snowboarding instructor. Dropped out. He dropped out of university, been a snowboarding instructor. But he, he came to us and he, yeah, he, he, we just got a sense of the, the, the guy from the beginning. And then Paul actually went on, and I don't want to embarrass him, but he went on to be like the. By the end of it, he's running an entire division of the business and now has left and is running his own company. So I guess our gut reaction was right and you've got to see beyond. It's great, by the way. I went to university and I loved it and I'm really grateful for it. But Paul's right. It's not just about that. That is helpful, but it's not the only thing. You've got to get to the, the right attitude of the person. I think in terms of attitude, this is something that we... I'm preaching to the converted here, but we just love people that, you know, we used to innocent call it, like, got yes in their brain in a world full of no's. That's what we're looking for, the real entrepreneurial vibe. And being entrepreneurial isn't that necessarily setting up a business. Entrepreneurial is a mindset, as you know, where you're going to agitate for change, where you're not going to accept the status quo, where you actually have an optimism about thinking that things can get better, especially if you start making them do so. And that's something that innocent that we we really prided ourselves on, and we had this simple rule that if you're 70% sure, then go for it. And that was a real aid memoir to the whole business about how to think about things. If you're trying to make a decision about, I don't know, what product you're going to launch or whether you should do this marketing campaign or which uh, you know, bit of software you're going to employ, it's about doing the due diligence and making sure you're not making reckless decisions to get to at least 70% confidence, but you don't have to chase that 100%. So do the due diligence, and if you're relatively sure that it's about that level, then you can go for it rather than get frozen and always trying to reach perfection. Because business actually is just the art of slightly, a little bit making up as you go along, and it's better to be out there and having a go and then iterating as you get the feedback from your consumers and your retailers and all the rest of it. And it's the single best advice you could ever really give a person that's thinking about starting a business is just definitely get it started. Exactly, and um, trust your gut. Um, so actually trusting your gut isn't quite as maverick as it, it sometimes feels because when you are trusting your gut, you are using the limbic part of your brain. So uh, that's the part that controls the emotions and the feelings. So um, often, especially in startups, you don't have all of the data to make those decisions. So the 70% rule and the, and the trusting your gut. Red Bull, a famous story, they... They failed every single consumer taste test before they launched the business, and they still launched it and went on to create one of the most successful drinks brands ever. So at 21 years old, I tried and, uh, to, to start my own food business, and I, I, I couldn't actually raise the funding. I was working uh, in a kitchen in a cafe in Manchester, and... Uh, I, I knew the dream of starting my own food business and the goal was still there. Uh, it wasn't going to be quite as linear as I thought and that's what took me to the door of Innocent and tried to convince them and, 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 and to get a job. Uh, I, I think looking back, I definitely 
uh, feel that the zig and zagging has been amazing for, for most of the time. Uh, I've just got a bit of a personal gripe with uh, a failure being celebrated so much on social media nowadays. As an entrepreneur, I can, I, can, I can tell you now, failing absolutely sucks. It's expensive, uh, and it's very different to learning from your mistakes. So again, I just wanted to, to flag to people that um, learning from mistakes and iterating and trying to improve all of the time and learning from everything is very, very different to failing. So um, the, the starting of a new business I thought was going to be Great Gatsby, Leo. And it's definitely been more like The Revenant, Leo. It is dark and tough and so not glamorous. But if you really want it, uh, it's... Yeah, I wouldn't change it for the world. So definitely encourage you to go for it. We found that... Um well, look, here's again another obvious point that any big business that exists in the world now, it always started small, right? You, you can't start big. Every, you know, YouTube started with two guys coding above a pizza way takeaway shop in, in, in California. Marks and Spencer, everyone knows it actually started as a market store. Funny enough, Innocent started as a market store. We, we got into... Um, we got into Fruit Juice after having an idea as three group of friends from university, and we were basically inspired by our hangover as we were trying to come up with something that was going to make ourselves feel better and we came up with the idea of smoothies and we wanted to make a business from it and we came back from the snowboarding weekend when we'd had the idea and we were trying to work out because we had regular jobs at the time it's like well does anyone want them is it a good idea and we thought rather than get too sort of lost in uh, some sort of almost academic pursuits of trying to work out how to set up the business we figured actually let's just Let's just make some smoothies and find out if people like them. So we bought 500 pounds worth of fruit. We crushed it up. We made 1,000 bottles of smoothies. And we took it along to the local music festival. We set up a stall there. And we sold the smoothies from that stall. And the only unusual thing about the stall was a big sign above it that said, should we give up our jobs to make these smoothies? And I had a bin that said yes on the front and a bin that said no. And as a group of three friends, we'd made a commitment that if the yes bin was full, at the end of the weekend, we'd go in on the Monday morning and resign from our job. So we did the weekend of selling them, and we got to the end of the weekend, and the yes bin was absolutely full. The no bin had a few bottles in. And bearing in mind, this is now like, um, this is 20 years ago. It was only about five years ago. Our parents confessed that they were the ones that put the bottles in the no bin. Really worried about us giving up our jobs, and then we had this sort of rather bizarre Monday morning the next day where we'd all we made a commitment that we were all going to resign from our respective jobs at 10 a.m. And I went and stood outside. I used to work in advertising. I remember standing outside my board account director's office at 9:57 on that Monday morning, and I just, and I just freaked. I thought, well, I don't know what I'm doing. I've never set up a business. We've just done this market stall test. I, I can't pay my rent if I go to my job. I, I've got no cash, and so I bottled it. And I, I didn't do it, and I went back to my desk and rang Adam and John and. And they said, have you resigned? I said, no. And they said, why not? And I said, well, hang on, have you two resigned? And they went, no, no, we haven't done it either. <laughs> but actually, all three of us bottled it at the same time. So then we recalibrated and said, okay, 10.30, we're all going to go and resign. And, uh, and, actually, and, and then we did. And it was this sort of collective sort of either wisdom or stupidity of doing it together that gave us the confidence to do it. And then, you know, that actually is a 100% true story. We started from that market store now, in a sense, the biggest juice brand in Europe. And... I have to say, no one's more surprised than the three of us, but we're massively grateful. And, and just another example, of, again, of how little things can turn into big things from Innocent. I don't know if anyone's come across this. It's a campaign each year we do called The Big Knit, where we get little hats, woolen hats knitted, and they go on the bottles 
to keep them in, in food, keep the bottles warm in, in the fridge. And for every hat that gets sold, 25p goes to age concerned about old people keep warm during the winter. And the guy that came up with this innocent, a guy I worked with, pitched me this idea. And I remember saying to him, mate, that's, that's like never going to work. You're never going to get sort of volunteers in it, perhaps. I said, you're going to have to get like a factory in China to make them or something. And he said, no, 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 I'm going to get volunteers to make them. I reckon I can do it. And all I need you to do is promise the 25p per hat goes to charity. And I said, well, no problem, mate, because you're not going to get any hats, are you? And, then, <laughs> and in that first year, you got 3,000 hats knitted all by hand by different volunteers across the country. Then the next year it went to 20,000. Then the third year it went to 80,000. Uh, the campaign's been running every year. It's in its 10th year. 4.1 million hats. All knitted by hand by volunteers all across the country. Uh, not just the country, now all across the world. So another example of these little ideas, this idea that you've got either yesterday or today or tomorrow, uh, it's, everything has to, everything big started small. So your small idea today can be the big idea tomorrow. So... We're repeating ourselves now, but definitely give it a go. Another bit of advice that, I, again, I, I see more actually from the, the jam jar side of things is, uh, it's funny, Paul was talking about the sort of limbic and the sort of emotional side of the, the brain, and what I've seen, an increasing trend in the amount of people, the, the people that come to us for investment, there's quite often in the business, in the startup team, there's, there's always someone that's like super good at all the data analytical stuff, and can optimize for sort of click-through rates and all the rest of it, irrespective of what the business is. And the, hopefully that someone understands, you know, the, the, the dynamic of fundraising and finance. And, but it's amazing how often there isn't actually someone who really is obsessed with the actual thing. Like either, you know, if it's the trouser brand, the, the person that's obsessed with the buttons and the cotton and the, the feel of it, or if it's a food brand, no one's... It doesn't need to be the person that's really obsessed about the taste and the texture. And it's just something I would say, I'd put it out there as definitely have one of those in your team. You need the slightly unreasonable, obsessive person that really, really, really cares about the nature of the thing itself so it is beautiful or it does taste delicious or it does get your whites white or whatever it is that is the genuine benefit to the consumer. You've got to have someone that deeply cares. That's not all you've got to have. You have got to have all the other left brain rational stuff as well. But don't have that without the right brain stuff as well. Make sure you're making something that's beautiful, that brings a little bit of joy to the person when they're using it. Be ethical. So on the 29th of April 2015, we sold our first bowl veg pot. And the first, the first two years went better than we could have ever dreamt of. Uh, at the end of the second year, we'd done over 10 million in retail sales. We'd won New Business of the Year at the National Business Awards. We'd actually made a profit, which again was a bit of a surprise, which we donated all to Action Against Hunger, an incredible charity you should check out if you don't know them. But uh, as I got closer to the uh, industrialization of the food system, and I'm clearly going to be preaching to the converted in this audience, read books like The Food Revolution and How Not to Die, uh, I knew things had to change. Half of our business uh, had recipes that contained meat and fish. And I had my cowspiracy epiphany and thankfully uh, went to the investors and went to the team and said... I'm uncomfortable with what we're doing and I don't want to be part of the problem anymore. What we eat is the single biggest environmental decision we face every single day. I, I, I and the team, we made the decision to drop uh, those recipes from market and overnight we halved the size of the business and we went perilously close to going out of business. But 
what what we did was go 100% plant-based and we are now back in growth and I think uh, days like today are just showing how massive this movement uh, is becoming. Uh, we are not perfect. It's not going to stop us trying to be perfect though and I just think um, the decision to go plant-based and drop meat, fish and, and more recently dairy was the best decision we've ever made and we will always be 100% plant. So, is that the two-minute warning just got? Okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just wanted to give, whilst my, my last bit here, just a, another shout-out to Damon and Judy and all of the people at Vevolution and everybody who's part of this movement because it's so exciting uh, to be working in the food industry at the moment, uh, particularly uh, when uh, there's all the amazing stuff going on uh, to make the world a better place for the future. Oh, yeah, and the the, um, the other things that we've uh, found useful, uh, uh, ethical, absolutely, you know, innocent from the beginning, stores only going to make healthy products, sustainably sourced, 10% of profits going to charity, all employees made shareholders, profits shared amongst all of them, all those things, and actually brought a great extra commercial advantage to the business because you just get a team that's committed, that work harder, longer, because they feel rewarded appropriately, and also they're proud of the fact that for everything that they sell, somebody's going to charity, and the thing that they sell is, is innately good. So again, having that sort of ethical underpinning, I wouldn't do it just for the sort of the hippie reasons, I'd also do it for the hardcore capitalist reasons. It's a, it's a great extra bit of juice in the tank. Another thing that we advocate as a business, and is just, just be shameless at stealing great ideas. Uh, you know, it, 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 I think anything, literally every good idea Innocent had, was basically stolen from somewhere else and repurposed, but not just other businesses, because that gets a bit too sort of, that's too small a gene pool. You've just got to go out in the world and art, literature, sports, business, politics, finance, anything, and just sort of find good ideas and then use them again. Now, I'll give you one small example of how you know, we would take an idea and then basically nick it and change it. This is uh, our sampling vans. You, know, you need sampling vans. You want to get people to try the products. You want to get them noticed. How do you get them noticed? Well, we figured we'll do... We'll cover them in grass and daisies and fit them in hydraulics so it bounces around. It had big speakers and it bled out hip-hop. And by the time you put a van that dances covered in grass in front of a Sainsbury's on a Saturday morning. Believe me, it gets you noticed. And so it was seen as like a great sort of innovation that Innocent did this, and it was. I'm really proud of it, but I also know that I completely stole the idea from Dumb and Dumber. So, I mean, it was... <laughs> I just thought, you know, you're going to get good ideas from everywhere, so your job as an entrepreneur is to be always on, always filtering, always thinking, how can I use that to make my business uh, even better? And the final thing, and the, the, our last piece is just... Also, I think uh, another bit of the jigsaw is just remaining forever humble, forever open to the feedback of those brilliant people called your consumers. And, you know, we were innocent. We were clear that if it wasn't for our consumers, we are just a weird group of people with a very expensive fruit-crushing hobby. So we are desperately desperate to hear what they've got to say, make sure we're doing right by them. Uh, consumers... Make it as easy as possible to talk to. That's why it says on the side of an innocent bottle, if you're bored, give us a ring or pop round, and the door to out is always open. It says, give a ring on the banana phone. It is actually a genuine, admittedly, plastic but yellow banana phone that, that, that rings in the business. And we do everything we can to sort of get cus customer feedback in, because I think it's when you're open to it that they, more than anyone, more than all the sort of the fancy language you might hear from investors or from speaking to your retailers or corporate speak, consumers will just have this brilliant gift to absolutely tell you what it is 
that they most care about. And of course, that as a business is the thing that you most want to be in the business of delivering against. And I, my last slide is my favorite example of some customer feedback. It's got nothing to do with Innocent. My friend sent it to me, though. It's a, it's a copy of a letter written by an eight-year-old girl that was given to a flight attendant and asked to be given to the captain uh, of, of the airplane she was on. And I just think it's a great example of how consumers can often cut through and tell you what it is that you should be keeping uh, as the main thing. I'll read it out in case you can't see because the handwriting is pretty sketchy. It says, Dear Captain, my name is Nicola. I'm eight years old. This is my first flight, but I'm not scared. I like to watch the clouds go by. My mum says the crew is nice. I think your plane is good. Thanks for a nice flight. Don't fuck up the landing. (laughs) Terrible language for an eight-year-old, but again, it sort of illustrates the point about, you know... You want a successful business, which is the first thing we'd wish all you guys, if you're setting one up or thinking of it, but it, it is about the consumer, it is about delivering against their main thing. Thanks very much. Bevolution not only makes talks available on this podcast, but we also film talks at our events. Head over to Vevolution's YouTube channel to catch new talks we are releasing weekly from November's sold-out Vevolution Festival 2018. As always, thanks for listening to this episode of the Vevolution podcast. If you enjoyed this talk, please leave us a favourable review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Until the next time, take care and we'll look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you.